0: Take your Bibles, turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to pick up in chapter 8 and move forward in Isaiah. If you're using your P Bible, it is uh, page 572. Page 572. We're going to continue on and see um, Isaiah speaking to Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, and particularly to Ahaz, the king of the southern kingdom. And as we saw two weeks ago, Ahaz, the king of Judah, was quaking in fear of Syria and Israel to the north. It was the ten tribes who were in league together, and they were encroaching on Judah. And uh, God had urged Ahaz, if you remember when Rusty was preaching, uh, to ask him for a sign and to trust him. He said, ask for a sign, Ahaz, and trust me, and I'll give you a sign and I'll deliver you, and Ahaz did not. He chose to turn away from God. And he rather sought out to make a treaty with Assyria, which is an enormous empire to the north. He looked to Assyria for help, for protection, and for strength instead of into the Lord. If you remember in chapter, nine, uh, chapter 7, verse 9, God told Ahaz this if, you're not, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So latching on to that and moving into. Today's chapter, we're going to see more themes along that line. We are called and urged over and over again as the people of God to have faith in God who is unseen, even though what we see may be falling to pieces around us. Key question this morning I want you to think about as, I'm, as we're working through the passage when you feel pressed in on every side, when life seems to fall apart all around you, when you're facing the worst pain or conflict, or trauma of your life, when fear begins to set in, where do you turn? What is your source of comfort? Where do you turn, and what is your source of comfort? Let's pick up reading in verse 1 of chapter 8. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Mahar, Shahal Hashbaz, and I will get a reliable witnesses, Uriah, the priest, and Zechariah, the son of Jerobekiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahar Shahal Hashbaz, for before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shaloah that flow gently and rejoice over resin and the son of Hermalia, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. It will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the Neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Stretch on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me. And warn me not to walk in the way of the people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap, and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble upon it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up to testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter should not a people inquire their god should they inquire the dead on behalf of the living to the teaching and to the testimony if they will not speak according to this word it is because they have no dawn they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry and when they are hungry they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their god And turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Let's pray together. Oh, holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we call to you. And we ask, O Father, that you would illuminate your word to us, that, Holy Spirit, you would come and light on us as you lit on the darkness and formless void of creation, as you lit on the Son of God, as you lit on the early church, would you light on us? Would you stir us up? Would you create us new, recreate us? Warm our hearts to your words so that we may see the glory of Christ, so that we may be stirred up. And, O oh Lord, I pray that you would make water into wine for us today. Enrich us with much food from your word. I pray, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen. Sometime during my pre-teen years, I watched one of those werewolf movies of the 80s. There was a lot of werewolf movies. I don't remember which one it was. It, they were very popular back then. And uh, I watched either, I can't remember if I watched the whole movie or just a clip that just flashed on the screen, but I remember seeing that face of the werewolf. And it was hideous. And it scared me. It shook me to where when I went to bed that night, I was in fear. I thought, what if, what if that werewolf appears in, outside of my window and is just staring at me? And I see that face. What am I going to do? And though that seems like a, a small fear, it led to fears greater than that in my life. And it grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And I face various different fears in my life in different ways. We all face fear. Whether it be fear of a a werewolf outside of our window, or fear of man, or fear of death, or fear of speaking, or fear of conflict. There are fears present in our life, and they pop up in many ways, whether we know it or not. They pop up in our lives, and they cause us to respond in different ways. We see this in the life of Ahaz, we see this in the life of Judah, and we see this with Isaiah. We have these people here who are real historical people who are wrestling with what does it mean to live life in a life in a world that is full of sin and misery. One major thing that enabled me to battle fear was learning about the sovereignty of God. That the God I believe in actually holds all of time in his hand and all of my time in his hand. That nothing... And my life happens without him knowing it. Nothing happens without his knowledge. And then secondly, that I'm not alone. He is with me. With this fear in mind, I want to propose to you this morning from this passage, we serve a God who is all-powerful. We serve a God who is with us and who delights in saving us. I want to say that again. We serve a God who is all-powerful, who is with us, and who delights in saving us, his people. Before we dive in, I want to give a working definition of what I mean by fear. We are called to fear him alone. The Bible here calls Isaiah and calls the people of God, fear God alone. What does this mean? Is this a, a terror, a quaking fear? Well, there's a shade of meaning in there that is very true. But the full Lord meaning this fear, this word fear, is an awe-inspiring reverence and worship of God alone. It is a deep devotion, a reverence, even a vibrant worship, and that is called fear. It is a turning to God when life hurts or when life is scary, when the storms hit. So that's what we're working with. I want to to look at fear from two angles, from two points, and I'll frame it in two questions. First, what does unbelieving fear look like? What does unbelieving fear look like? And secondly, what does believing fear look like? Let's tackle the first, unbelieving fear. As I said earlier, Ahaz, the king of Judah, had a chance to follow God. God gave him chances. Turn to me, ask of me, ask, and I'll do it. He says, no, I don't, I don't want that. We saw in chapter 7, 10 through 13, Ahaz rejected God's help. Instead, he turned to the king of Assyria for help. Listen to Second Chronicle, Chronicles 28. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, you can just listen. This is where we get the history of Ahaz in, in Judah. Verse 21 states this, For Ahaz took portion from the house of the Lord and the house of the king and of the princes, and he gave tribute to the king of Assyria, but it did not help him. Do you hear that? He took stuff from God's sanctuary, from God's house that is holy and set apart, and he gave it as tribute to this pagan king of Assyria. So what does unbelieving fear look like? Well, we'll start with one word, control. Control. It looks at life and says, oh, no. I can't control what's happening, so let me grasp and clutch and scheme and do what I can to maintain control of my life and create peace. This is what Ahaz does, but it doesn't stop there. Listen to what happens next with Ahaz in Second Chronicles 28. In the time of distress, his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. This same king Ahaz for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him, and said, Because of the gods of the kings of Syria had helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him in all of Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God, and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Did you hear that? It got so far, Ahaz's heart of unbelief, of fear, got so far of control that he even shut the door of the temple. And he created altars throughout all of the land to worship other gods. And he did this for himself. Although it did not help him. Keep that in mind. At base level, unbelieving fear is rooted in idolatry and produces idolatry. It's rooted in idolatry, and the fruit of it is idolatry. It's worship, as Adam said earlier, of something or someone other than God alone. Unbelieving fear even moved God's people to seek out necromancers, witches and sorcerers, as you see in chapter 8, verse 19. And the rhetorical questions are powerful here. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? What are we doing here? Basically, they're saying, rhetorically, are you going to seek the dead people to know what to do as a living person? When you have a living almighty God who has stretched his hand toward you and said, I will help you, I am with you. In the end, unbelief only produces heartache, pain, and lastly, the judgment of God. Look back with me to Isaiah chapter 7. The imagery in uh, uh, verses 18 and 19 is of Egypt and Assyria filling the land like flies and bees. In verse 20, it's that of the king of Assyria shaving Judah, which was a, a complete humiliation in that day. Then in chapter 8, verse 1, I'm sorry, in 23 through 25, it was that of briars and thorns filling the land. This is stated three times, briars and thorns. And what we see, if you go back to the whole book of Deuteronomy, there were blessings of following God and there were curses of turning away from God. And, And as Israel and Judah turned away from God, there was desolation. There was a dryness in the land, and there was a curse of thorns and briars. It wasn't fruitful. Then we see in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, which you just read, the imagery is is from the name of Isaiah's son, whose name means the spoil speeds and the prey hastens. Meaning, you Judah, because you've not turned to the Lord, you are going to be taken away. You're going to be the spoil. The prey is coming to get you. Lastly, the imagery we have is of a river, a raging river, in verses 5 through 7. I want to read that again. Chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. The Lord spoke to me again, Because this people has refused the waters of Saloa, that flow gently, and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Armalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all of his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks and it will sweep onto Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Hmm. Raging river. You see, God's people had rejected the one who, as Psalm twenty-three says, leads them beside the still waters and restores their soul. They rejected that that calm water of God and His help and His love and His faithfulness. And instead, they got a raging river of chaos. This is what unbelief will get us in the end if you turn away from the living God. Instead of trusting in the king of the universe, they turned to the king of a small piece of land, relatively speaking. God owned everything. He created everything. And yet they turned to this king, comparatively speaking, to God who is small, who is finite, for help. And in effect, God says, Okay, you want Assyria? You got it. But it'll cost you. For Assyria will not be faithful to you, but will overtake you like an eagle takes its prey. It reminded me of Jeremiah two twelve through 13 where Jeremiah says this, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that could hold no water. The final picture of the fruit of unbelief in chapter 8 is, as you see at the end, dark and gloomy, distressed, the people are hungry, they are raging, they are cursing God in anguish, and lastly in thick darkness. My friends, I want to urge you this morning, if you do not know the living God through Jesus Christ, hear these words. Know him. Seek him for refuge. There is no other peace to be found other than in Christ. This God in Christ has come, and he has offered you a peace treaty and says, Come to me. I will be your God, and you will be my people. The other alternative is what we see here, this dark and gloomy living that has no peace, that has no joy, ultimately, that gives you nothing. It is like throwing sand in your mouth when you are incredibly thirsty. That's what unbelief looks like. But I want to I finish on a positive note. What does belief look like? How do we as believers continue to press into that belief in our sovereign God? First, we see Isaiah responding in verses 9 through 10. With God's absolute sovereignty over all the nations. He's in effect saying, You think you, Assyria, are in control? And in fact, all the other nations, you think you're in control? You think, okay, we're gonna go defeat God's people? You think you're the big dog? No! God is in control of you, is what Isaiah is saying to all the nations surrounding Israel. God is sovereign over all the nations of the earth. Verse 10, it says, they take counsel together, but it will come to what? Nothing. It will speak a word, but it will not stand. Why? Why is that? For God is with us. There's that word we saw in chapter 7. Emmanuel, God with us. Why would their counsel not stand? Because this powerful, transcendent God has come and dwelt with his people who were clinging to him by faith. Excuse me. Here we see the primary truths that we should all remember when faced with fear. It is these twin truths God is absolutely sovereign, and secondly, that He is with us. God is high and lifted up, yet He is closer than our skin. He is like no other God. The Christian God is very different than any other religious God. Most other religious gods would say he is far and removed. He doesn't care, and you got to keep up. you got to run the hamster wheel and check all the right boxes, and then you can climb the ladder and get to him. The other opposite is he's just one of us. He's inside of us. We are gods. Neither one of those are true alone in Christianity. Christianity says they are, they are both true. They are together. The great God of the universe has come down in Christ and become one of us, one with us, and suffered for us. And that is the beauty of Emmanuel. This God that holds the stars in their place and calls them by name, and yet he knows the number of hairs on your head. And he dwells with you in Christ. The beauty of that mystery is astounding. How do we remember those glorious truths? Through the teaching and the testimony. Did you see it? Verse 16 and verse 20. In fact, in verse 20, uh, it's a rallying cry, much like a war cry that we saw in Judges 7 with Gideon. Do you remember? Gideon surrounded. uh, He had 32,000 men ready to fight the Midians, and God said, no, that's too many. And he said, no, that's too many. And, and Gideon goes down to 300. And they go at night and light these lanterns, and they yell, for the Lord and for Gideon. And God wins the battle for them. This is, this is like this here. Isaiah is saying, to the teaching and to the testimony. In other words, look to the Word of God. Anchor your life in the Word of God. Worship Him through His Word and the Spirit teaching you his word to the teaching and to the testimony in other words make God's word primary in your life as a college student God began to move me toward taking fear or tackling fear in my life I knew that it was present I knew that I needed to do something about it, and the Spirit continued to urge me, you gotta, you got to battle this, you got to move against fear. So one of the things I would do, I, I feared even the dark. I, I feared being in the dark. So I would, when I went home for, uh, to Geneva County for uh, weekends sometimes, I would go out to our family farm, way out in the middle of nowhere, it's pitch dark, it was just me, nobody around, and I would get out of my truck and walk around in the fields, and I remember, I'd get to that point where the, you know, the hair on your neck starts bristling and you think, oh, where's the monster coming? You know, who's coming up behind me? And I would begin to cry out, God, help me. You're here. And I'd look up at the stars. Help me, Lord. And then I, I, would, I would memorize scripture, Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Thus, mixing prayer and the word and the spirit together to battle toward belief, to battle toward hope, to battle toward what Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord. I will hope in the Lord. Isaiah continues in verse 11 with God's mighty hand on him. He's warning the people gets unbelief and 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 this looks weird, uh, conspiracy thing. What is that all about? They'll cry, conspiracy. Well, the common response to the prophets at that time was to ridicule them, and they called them conspirators against the nation. Thus, the warning uh, was not to reject Isaiah's words. In other words, Isaiah was encouraged to keep proclaiming, keep proclaiming. Do not call conspiracy what I am saying is the word of God, is what Isaiah was getting to. Look at the end of verse 12, and this is the key point today. Do not fear what they fear. You know, when when we look around us in the nation, the society, the political landscape seems to be caving in all around us, pressuring God's people to turn away from orthodox truth. Do not fear what they fear. This is for us. When you feel like There is pressure from society to move one tick mark, one step away from God's Word. Do not fear what they fear. This is a call, a clarion call for us as the people of God to be anchored in the orthodox truths of Christianity rooted in God's Word. Matthew 10, 28, and 29, our Lord said this, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Thus anchoring that command, do not fear with the imminent love of God, the power of God, yet the closeness of God. Instead, we see in verse 13, what does it say? But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. What does this mean? This, what this means is one word, worship. Worship. What is, your, what is your antidote to anxiety, worry, fear? It is worship. When you feel yourself rustling like a leaf, you need to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. We need that. When we are tempted to fear what pagans fear, our greatest need is to worship. Worship privately, worship with your family, and worship corporately, regularly. Stephen and I were talking this morning how some days we get here at church and we just our hearts are not there yet. We're, we're sunk in all the, the busyness or the cares of the world. And, and, and there's, a, there's a time in which we, we try to pray and, and ask the Lord, help me to be ready for worship. But then we get in here and we start singing. And there's something about the people of God singing to God together that enlivens our hearts toward Him and moves us into fearing Him alone. It's powerful. It's why God commands us to worship together, it's why we need it regularly. We need to see the holiness of God to gaze at his beauty and glory in all of its grandeur. This week as I was studying, it reminded me of Psalm chapter 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And listen to this. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise with a multitude-keeping festival. Do you see that? You see that wrestling with, with life, wrestling with depression and doubt and fear and saying, I need to be with the people of God. I need to be with them and singing to God. I need to be reminded of these twin truths that God is." powerful, and God is here. The psalmist longs for the sanctuary of God, where God is set apart as the holy object, the only object of worship. We see this word sanctuary now end here. This word appears in verse 14, and it is applied to the Messiah, the Holy One of God who would come and deliver His people once and forever. You see we'll see this more beautifully in the next chapter. Darkness is not the end of the day for God's people. There is light after darkness, light. And that is Messiah who will come and fulfill all things, who did come. Listen to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. He t- takes up this and quotes it as he writes. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For as it stands in Scripture, and here it is Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, listen to this, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but those who do not believe, the stone that the rebuilders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. God in Christ came to deliver his people not from worldly powers, but from the shackling power of sin, the dominance of Satan, and the allurement of the world. Not only that, but more importantly, Jesus suffered, died, and rose again so that the curse of unbelief would be lifted. And here's your choice today, folks reject God, and Christ is the stone of stumbling who will in the end crush you. Or take take this offer of peace in the gospel that says, Come to me, all you who are laboring. heavy laden and i will give you rest these are your choices today and i urge you today if you are not believing if you're sitting in here and you do not know jesus christ know him he is a source of true delight as we just sang he is a source of peace he's a source of true fear which is to say he is the source of all love which cast out all unbelieving fear this is our Savior. This is our King. This is the, human, the one in whom we delight and seek as God's people. Here's the point today God, the King of the universe, He is offering you freedom from fear. And that freedom comes from knowing and worshiping Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Savior, the King of the universe, who will come again and make all things new. Let's pray. Oh, God. I pray for us, as believing people, that you would build up our faith. Lord, as we are prone to anxiety and worry and even fear, would you encourage us through the gospel that, Lord, you are with us. That, Lord, you love us. That, Lord, no matter what we sink into, you are there to draw us out and set us on a rock Father, I pray for those who might be unbelievers here in this room, that they would seek your face. That they would seek the rock of ages. A hiding place, a refuge, a fortress, a delight, a joy. Continue to stir us up, O Lord, as we sing. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.